journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Good afternoon, and while everybody seems to be journeying into space and trying to find out what's outside of them, I'm inviting you tonight, today, as always on a Monday, to journey back into the Bible, and let's really learn from what has happened as opposed to what will happen, because there is a tremendous amount of great information and great inspiration that we can derive from going back and learning about our heritage. So welcome, welcome. We are studying the book of Genesis. We are in the Parsha of Vayete, and we are in chapter 30. So if you are at home, I hope all snuggled warm. The weather outside is really not pleasant. Um, you may open up to chapter 30, and we are going to start on verse 37. There's actually quite a lot of reading that I want to get done today. Um, not much really inside comment because a lot of it has to do um, with mystical stuff. But we are following the life, the life of our forefather Yaakov. Um, he has just finished fathering the 12 tribes. He has come to a deal with his father-in-law, uh, Lavan. And uh, the deal was you take your sheep and you um, move it a three-day journey away from my sheep, and what is yours is yours, and what will be mine will be mine, and I never, ever, ever want to be um, accused of any type of stealing. And that, in fact, is what happens in verse 36, that Lavan, um, his father-in-law, very, very suspicious of Yaakov, places a three-day journey between himself and Yaakov. And Yaakov still works for Lavan, he tends his sheep every single day, but he leaves the rest of, of his flocks, I'm sure, to his family. And what we're going to do now is we're going to read just a little bit, and I'm going to actually quickly just read it in English for you because there's no point reading it in Hebrew and in English and taking our time when there's quite a lot to say. But here is where we see for the first time in Torah what seemingly looks like a genetic experiment <coughs> excuse me so verse 37 reads as follows <coughs> apologies that was a um, a choke on your own saliva ain't that crazy Yaakov Yaakov takes for himself he takes um, a certain wood called poplar hazel and chestnuts and he peels white stripes in them by uncovering the white in the rods. Now, just for those who have tuned in today, a quick revision. <clears throat> he wanted to go and prove that what his is his and what Lavon is Lavon's. And so he told Lavon to take all the strong sheep, the ones that are white, um, and separate them from those that came out with genetic aberrations, whether they were spotted or they were speckled um, or they were streaked. And he said, I'll take them. And those will be mine. So what he does now is he goes and he takes fresh white um, um, poplar twigs and he also takes hazel and chestnut. And what he does is he actually carves out of them spotted, speckled, and striped designs on the bark. And this is what we're going to see in verse 38 and 39. He sets up the rods. I'm reading the English. 
Vayatzeg et hamaklot, he sets up the rods that he peeled near the troughs, the, the watering receptacles to which the sheep would drink, and they were facing the sheep when they came to drink. And what would happen when they came to drink? That is where sheep mate. So they would mate when they came to drink. And since they were mating while they were facing the rods, the sheep gave birth to either striped, spotted, or ringed lambs. So what happened was is that it seems that Yaakov influenced what type of, of sheep he would have by what rods were sitting in front of them at the water troughs. Now, this is a very, very interesting concept. It might not be something that is completely, um, so to speak, accepted, um, but it is partially accepted in another level, and that acceptance is when we talk about the fact that a pregnant woman um, actually influences her, 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 her fetus, the baby that she's carrying, by what she sees and what she hears. Now, why am I saying partially accepted? Because we know today that modern scientists have gone and proven that the baby has, um, is affected by music. And there is a huge movement out there to uh, encourage mothers to listen, for example, to Mozart or to, to all sorts of classical music because that affects the, the child. But what the Torah has been teaching us for millennia, and that's why it's fantastic to go back and journey into the Bible, because it's such a source of wisdom, God's wisdom, and it teaches us how to live our lives. It says, in fact, what we see and we hear have an effect, and what we see is proven over here, that if the sheep were looking at the sticks that were striped or spotted or speckled, they would then give birth to striped, spotted, or speckled. Um, and this is something that the Torah encourages a, a, a lot and is, is, is accepted amongst um, those who are knowledgeable in Torah that when a woman is pregnant and she's of child, that she should be very, very careful not to look upon anything that's not kosher or hear anything that's not kosher because it does, in fact, affect the child. So here we see that the sheep were affected while mating and they conceived the variegated offspring that um, Yaakov was doing. And he manipulated a lot when he needed more of one than the other, as we will see in the verses that, that, that are coming up now. That's what he did. And in that way, what happened was that he actually managed to build up a tremendous amount of wealth. Just one more verse before we go to a break. Yaakov segregated the lambs. Uh, amongst Lavon's flocks, he made the sheep face the ringed ones and all the brownish ones because that's what um, he wanted for Lavon, and he formed special flocks of his own, and he didn't let them mingle with Lavon's flocks. So it has been made very, very clear over here that, in fact, they were completely separate, and those which Lavon had handpicked and said, these are the sheep that I want, remained the sheep that he wanted. And uh, Yaakov then went and affected the sheep that he he was willing uh, or he was wanting to grow. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Adel Kozilski. We are journeying in the Bible and we are listening to the first genetic experiment around. We're in chapter 30, verse 41. When the aggressive sheep mated. 
Yaakov would place the rods before the sheep's eyes at the troughs, so they would mate towards the rods. When the sheep were feeble, he did not place the rods before them, and the feeble ones went to Lavan, while the aggressive ones went to Yaakov. So you can see over here that uh, Yaakov was, had and understood um, genetic uh, selection, I guess, and he knew how to manipulate it. And what was the result? Verse 43, He became tremendously prosperous. He landed up um, getting many sheep, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. Obviously, he used the sheep as a barter to get other other commodities. And so, all over a long while, he then um, he landed up um, uh, bartering. In fact. We are told that that uh, he had such unbelievable success that people knew that if they wanted to get the best sheep, they would come from all over to purchase them um, because he had such huge litters of sheep and he was able to sell them at a at a, a price that was as high as he wanted. And with this money then that he earned from selling his sheep, he was able to buy slaves and camels and donkeys. Of course, as always, once Parnosa comes from Hashem, One's wealth comes from Hashem, and Hashem gave him the ability to um, make money very quickly in a tremendous way. Right. One of the things that, Joseph, you are asking, are we saying that sheep mate when they um, are by the watering trough? Apparently so. That is what the Torah said. I'm not exactly sure why, but that's what it was. Right. We have now gone to... We have finished up what what was happening there in terms of, of Yaakov and how he got the sheep. We are now going to start chapter 31, and we are going to see how that actually uh, hap- what actually transpired now with Lavan. Lavan. Um, the sons of Lavan heard, um, you know, from the grapevine. They, they understood that um, there was. The, that Yaakov was making a lot of money. They went and said, Yaakov has taken everything of our father. And that which he took from a father, that's how he amassed all his honor. Now, the truth of the matter, they couldn't have the audacity to go and say that it was about Lavan's property because we know very clearly that it says in black and white, that there were three days travel from each other. What they were saying was, is that they smelt a rat. Their complaint was that Yaakov had taken over the devious ways of their father. Why? Because they said, Yaakov, look at him. He's amassed great wealth. Why? From that which was our father's meaning. Just as our father swindled others, Yaakov swindled him, making use of all his Tricks. They were a hundred percent convinced that um, uh, uh, that that Yaakov had become a sorcerer just as much as 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 as, as their father. Vayar Yaakov et Lavan, et Pene Lavan. When Yaakov 
then further met Lavan He did not behave to him as before. So things had soured. You know, money money makes people um, not be very nice people. And so things had soured between them. There was all this talk. How was this guy making all this money? He must be performing some type of occult, which he wasn't. He was doing something, but he certainly wasn't doing black magic. And inadverted to all of this, remember Yaakov has been with Lavan now for 14 years. God has never said a word to him until verse 3, chapter 31. Hashem says to Yaakov, Shuv el Eretz Avotecha, return to the land of your father, and to your birthplace, I will be with you. So why, why was there no, um, no divine presence? No, no, no divine communication. Okay. Yaakov, in fact, was very concerned, but that was because he was in Galut. He was in exile. And we know that in exile, um, God's presence is found far more in the land of Israel than in exile. But God let him do what he had to do, and he, he amassed what he had to amass. And now it is God that is chiding him and saying to him, you know, your mom and dad are waiting for you, and as long as your property is outside the land of Israel, you're not going to have true success. In the land of Israel, on the other hand, you'll be assured of keeping it. I will be with you. It's time to say goodbye. Well, Yaakov is a good husband, and what does he do? Vayishlach Yaakov. Yaakov sends a messenger. Who does he send? It says that he sends his son Naphtali. Naphtali was very fleet-footed. He ran very, very, very quickly. Vayikra Rachel Ulaleya. He calls to Rachel and Leah, his two wives, Hasade, to come into the field, El to his sheep. This is where he is going to have uh, a discussion with his wives about the prophetic vision that he has now had where God is telling him that it's time to take leave of Lavan. Why is he having it in the field? Because that's, it's secluded from passerbys and, you know, in those days it was guaranteed that no one was spying you. Here today, nothing, you know, everybody's looking into everybody's business. Your phone is tracking you wherever you're going. There's drones and satellites all over the place. It's pretty hard to hide. But in those days, it was um, it, it was it was easy, and the way that they did it is that they met in the field away from everything, everybody. I'm now going to read verses four to thirteen. I'm just going to read it in English, um, so that we can gain some speed. Yaakov says to them. So now Yaakov is talking to Rachel and Leah. I saw your father's face. He is not acting toward me as before. But Hashem of my fathers, the God of my fathers, is with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Your father swindled me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to harm me. If your father would say, spotted ones shall be your wage, then all the sheep gave birth to spotted ones. If your father stipulated ringed ones should be your wage, all the sheep dropped ringed ones. God therefore reclaimed your father's livestock and gave it to me. In the season that they were mating, I lifted my eyes and in a dream, I saw the bucks mounting the sheep. They were ringed, spotted and flecked. 
And the angel of God said to me, Yaakov, and I said, here I am. And the angel said, raise your eyes and see that the bucks are mounting, the sheep are ringed, spotted on flecked. For I have seen all that Lavan has done to you, and I am the God of the twelve, um, whom you anointed a monument and made an oath unto me. Now set out and leave this land, return to the land of your birthplace. So he actually goes and he explains to his wives what what was actually happening and telling him how their father was was conniving. And every time he changed the deal, whatever he changed the deal to, that was how he landed up getting what he got, which by definition meant that the wealth of Lavan was inadvertently or by divine providence shifted from Lavan to, to Yaakov. And so now we will understand what Rachel and Leah say in response. If you look at verse 14, 15, 16, they answered, and they said, do we even still have a portion of inheritance in our father's house? He considers us as strangers. So here you've got the typical estrangement. Um, Lavan was not very pleased with Yaakov. And they're saying, so what? Like, does it make any difference, this discussion? We don't even have an inheritance anymore with our father because he treats us as strangers. Why? He sold us. And he also spent our money. So basically what happened was that Yaakov did pay dowry and instead of using it on the children and the grandchildren, Laban in his um, inimitable, selfish manner went and spent it on himself. So quite frankly, Rachel and Leah, as we say in South Africanism, are chatful. They've had enough. They're not interested. They say, we don't really have an inheritance. In fact, all the wealth that God has reclaimed from our father, who, they're for us and for our children. So whatever God says to you, let's do it. So they, they, they themselves also realized that Laban was a, a, a formidable guy. He, he was forever changing stuff. He was hard to deal with. God had made a miracle. And in fact, there was this transference of wealth. And in doing so, they've realized now that everything that they do have really in truth belonged to them. And they, they, uh, they sighed with Yaakov and said to Yaakov, that's it. Yalla, let's go. Verse 17. By Yaakov, Yaakov, Yaakov gets up. By Yisait, by Nabet, Nashab, Al Hagmalim, he puts his children and his wives on to the camels. Basically, what this verse is saying is he packed up and he schmitzed. He left. He leads away all his livestock along with all his possessions. Including all the purchased livestock he had acquired in Padam Aram. Navo El Yitzchak, he was on his way, planning to go to Yitzchak, Arza Canaan, to the land of Canaan. So there comes a point in time where they go and say, we're done, we're finished, the end. No more of this finagling with Lavan, time to leave, he packs up and he leaves. 
Just very, very interestingly, um, just to show you as, as we move along these verses that we always follow the adage of Mase Avot Siman Labanin, that whatever our forefathers did is a sign for the, the, the children. And in fact, the way that Yaakov leaves, um, and the circumstances around it actually mimics itself the same way that we left Egypt. Similarly, just before we left Egypt, we left with tremendous wealth. We know that in the, in the um, plague of darkness, the Jews were allowed uh, to go into the Egyptian homes and take back the gold and the silver. And if anybody is wondering that is that, uh, you know, are Jews allowed to loot? No, they did not loot, God forbid. But they were slaves for 210 years without any payment whatsoever. And this was their recompense. So just like, yeah, and just like the same thing now with Yaakov, he worked hard for Lavan. Lavan tried to finagle him so many times, but God made sure that he was given what it is that was due and payable to him. In this case, it was, you know, it was the sheep. In the time of Egypt, it was payment for the 210 years of slavery that the entire nation um, worked, in essence, for free. And so when they left, they left with Rechush Gadol, with a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of wealth. Similarly, Yaakov, or rather, similarly, we did what happened in, in, in Egypt because of Yaakov. Yaakov left with a tremendous amount of wealth. Now, what you're going to see is that Yaakov is three days out. Um, when Laban finds out about it. Similarly, when the Jews left Egypt, they left um, for three days. And then Paro decided to change his mind. And then eventually, as we know, Paro uh, takes flight and he brings his army and all his soldiers with him to recapture the Jews. But then God saves the Jews at the final moment and he splits the sea and he drowns Pharaoh. Similarly, we'll see now, there's the three-day lag. Lavan hears about it. He then makes chase of Yaakov. And at the end, Yaakov is saved simply because God was looking after him and Lavan gets nothing. But let's follow inside. And as always, just a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, 34519 is the SMS line, 061-895-1019, our telegram number. We are now on verse 18. Sorry, verse 19. Lavan had gone to shear his sheep. Now, what we are told in the Mephorashim that there was a huge party when the shearing of the sheep happened. Um, and the entire family um, takes leave and they go out into the fields and they go shear the sheep. Now, that means that when Yaakov decided to leave was during this festive, this festivity. And so there was nobody at home. Now, Rachel did not want her father to continue with his idol worship. And so she decided to do a kindness to Laban. And what happened was because he had gone to shear a sheep, there was nobody at home. What did she do? She stole the idols that belonged to her father. She wanted to stop her father. Her intentions were very, very good. She wanted to stop him, 
um, and uh, didn't want him to find out. Now, I was reading a tremendous amount on the Trafim. What does Trafim mean? Um, a lot of uh, Mepharshim say it comes from the word Tarput. Tarput means obscene. Okay, And they said there was a lot of obscenity and a lot of debauchery in these idolatrous, idolatrous festivals. But what it seems more was that these were like horrible concoctions of either beheaded people or other types of, of images that through the occult were able to speak. Um, and they used them in, in divination. That's what Lavan used them for. So what made Rachel steal them? For a few reasons. Number one, she wanted a father. Out of the goodness of her heart, she wanted a father to stop, uh, to stop the, 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 the usage of idol worship. But also because it had the ability to speak, she did not want her father to come back and then do a whole lot of uh, heebie-jeebies there, do a whole lot of divination, and then uh, it would tell them that they had, in fact, fled. So on both these reasons, she stole them. She never told Yaakov about them, and unfortunately that's going to backfire on her, but that is what happened. Vayignov Yaakov et lav et lev lavan. Basically, Yaakov duped. He, 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 he didn't... Tell Lavan Ha'arami, Al Bli Higidlo Kiborehu. He didn't tell him that he was leaving. So he fled with all that he had. And he set out and he crossed the Euphrates River. And he sets out in the direction of the Mount of Gilad. This is 101.9, Chai FM. Hi FM. 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. The drama is about to begin. This is Adel Kozilski. You're listening to 101.9 High FM, and we are going to see now what is going to happen when Lovin finds out that Yaakov just left without telling him. The Yugad Lovin by Yom Hashlishi. On the third day, Lavan was told that Yaakov had fled. Well, how did he know? There was no Google Maps. There was no tracking. There was no radio. How did they know that Yaakov had fled? Well, very, very simple. Okay. Yaakov fled. And you remember all the time that Lavan had kept Yaakov there was because there was water in the well. Well, what happened was all the shepherds went to the well. It had been obviously overflowing since the time that Yaakov had arrived. And on the first day, they found it empty. Then they waited for the well for three days. When no water appeared, they could only surmise and understand that Yaakov, in fact, had left. And they rushed to tell Lavan. He, Im- he immediately understood that Yaakov had left because the well had only yielded abundant water in his merits. What does he do? Exactly like Pharaoh did many years later, he takes his uh, kinsmen with him, he goes and he pursues Yaakov a distance of seven days, and he catches him up, catches up to him, he intercepts him in Mount Gilad. Now, 
he was, remember, there was three days that he left before Lavan understood. It took Lavan another uh, three days to get where he is going to. Now, you can just imagine the wrath of Lavan. You can imagine just like Paroi, his incessant need to bring Yaakov back because he realized that all his blessing comes from Yaakov and God intercepts at this point in time just before Lavan comes up to him. God comes to Lavan, Arami, the Armenian, in a dream, Bachalom, Halila, at that night, and he warns him, Don't you dare speak to Yaakov, good or bad. It says that this was in fact the angel Michael. He was God's men, uh, uh, messenger, and he drew and he drew his sword at Lavan as if to kill him. And he said to him, "You better take care that you don't say anything to Yaakov, good or bad, because even good things that are wicked, that the wicked say, are harmful to Tzedekim. and they are able to finish you off in one minute." Also. Lavan didn't pursue Yaakov to wage war because in terms of camps, Yaakov had more men than Lavan. What did Lavan want to do? What was his intention? His intention was to curse Lavan, to kill Lavan with his words. Remember, he was an incredible sorcerer. Um, he was into d- divination. And now you're going to see what actually happened because what he wanted to do was he wanted to wipe up Yaakov, wipe out Yaakov. Now, for anybody who knows, when we look into the Haggadah um, on Pesach and we go through the verses after the Manishtana, one of the verses reads, an Armenian decided, destroyed my father. Lavan wanted to uproot Yaakov through, they're talking now about uh, Lavan, wanting to uproot Yaakov from the world through his sorcery. Now, yes, uh, Joseph, Rachel was a good daughter. He had good intentions, but unfortunately those good intentions lands up backfiring. Also, you can see now interwoven into the entire story is the fact that he actually wanted to go curse because he couldn't find his, he couldn't find those trafim, those occult things that landed up speaking. I'm going to now reads verses 25 to 30 in English, just to expedite things. Lavan overtakes Yaakov. Vayaseg Lavan at Yaakov. He overtakes Yaakov. For Yaakov had set up his tents on the hill, and Lavan and his kinsmen had set up on Mount Gilad. And Lavan says to Yaakov, What have you done? You duped me. You led my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you have to flee so secretly? You robbed me, and you did not tell me. I would have sent you off with celebration and song, with drum and lyre. You didn't even, lyre, L-Y-R-E, just by the way. You didn't even let me kiss my grandsons and my daughters. Now, didn't you act foolishly? My hand has the power to harm you. But your father's God addressed me last night uh, and said, give heed not to speak to Yaakov, good or evil. And now that you have left me because you yearn for your father's house, why did you steal my gods? So he flips the entire entire story. First he gives him a pola, he gives a, a mouthful to Yaakov and says, well, did you have to leave? You, you, you connived. I didn't say goodbye. I would have sent a, I made a big a farewell party for you. Blah, 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 blah. 
on and on and on and on. But what was the main reason that he was chasing now after he'd got the warning from, from the angel not to, to, to curse or do anything to Yaakov? He says, why did you steal my gods? Here's Yaakov's response. By Yan Yaakov, Yaakov replies, by Yomel Lavan, and he says to Lavan, ki yareti, I was afraid. Ki amarti pentigzolid benotechami imi, I was afraid. I thought you might take your daughters away from me by force. Not a unfounded accusation. Lavan was good enough for anybody. But here comes the wrong, the wrong statement that Yaakov said unintentionally. Im asher timsa et elohecha velo yichye neged achenu hake lecha ma imadi vekachlach lo yadati Yaakov ki Rachel gnavatam. He says to him, if you find your gods with anyone, he will not live. And with those words, Yaakov pronounces a death sentence on Rachel. Im asher timsa et elohecha, if you find your gods, lo yichye. He who has stolen them will not live. In front of your kinsmen, says Yaakov, if you recognize anything that belongs to you here from me, take it back. And of course, in parentheses, the Torah goes and says, Yaakov did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now we understand why on the way back now to Israel, um, Rachel dies in Childbirth. This very is a very. There's a few very very important things here that I've got one or two minutes to get through, and that is number one. Look at the honesty of Yaakov. He was hundred percent convinced that he had absolutely nothing that he had taken that belonged to Lavan. His hands were squeaky, squeaky clean. So far as he could, he said, you go around, go look, if there's anything that belongs to you, take it. And the per- if there's anything here, let that person die, because there's no question that I acted out of honesty with you. The second is the verification that whatever a tzaddik will say, whatever a saint says, um, it will come true. And therefore, him cursing uh, Rachel, in fact, comes true. This is 101.9. Hi FM. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And we have really a few minutes. I'm going to read one more verse, and Carol, you're going to have to come back uh, next week to hear the drama that happens. But by Yavo Lavan, by Ohel Yaakov, Lavan comes into the tent of Yaakov, and into the tent of Leah, and into the tent of the two um, maidservants below Matzah, he doesn't find. By Yetzim Ohel Leah, he goes out of the tent of Leah, the Yavobo Ohel Rachel, and he comes into Rachel's tent. So first we see he goes into Yaakov's tent, which was Ra- Rachel's. Okay, because Rachel, remember, was Yaakov's favorite wife. So the two of them shared the same tent. Then he goes and inspects Leah's tent, and the tents of Bila and Zilpah. So what we actually just read from here is that that uh, um, Bila and Zilpah's tents were not open to the public, but he had to go from Leah's tent into Le- Zilpah and Bila. Leah and Rachel had tents to the opening. So he goes in to Yaakov's tent, doesn't find anything, into Leah, into Bila, into Zilpah, comes out again, 
and he lands up back in Rachel's tent. And the reason why, and I'll leave you with that right now, was that she was known as a person who loved touching things. He knew her as a daughter who loved touching things. And so he was super, super um, suspicious of Rachel. If anybody had taken something, it would have been his daughter, Rachel. But that's where we are going to uh, leave it. Um, and you're going to have to wait until next week for the next episode of our biblical story. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope that you stay safe, stay well. Until then, have a good day.